0: Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of That 4K Podcast. This week's subject, we're going to talk about some of the unpleasant truths about the retirement plan business, uh, stuff that'll probably get me in trouble uh, with my frank views of the retirement plan business. But of course, first things first, That4Ksite.com will give you an information about all our live events. Uh, right now uh, in the hopper, as they say, are booked, we have Friday, January 21st in Las Vegas at the New York, New York Hotel and Casino. Unique venue, uh, unique city. Uh, looking forward to it. Larry's uh, in the midst of booking a guest. Hopefully we'll have somebody within next week. Been, I have my dream guest uh, who lives in Vegas, and uh, we'll see if Larry will be able to book it. If not, there'll be a second fallback, a uh, Hall of Fame basketball player. So, we've never had a basketball player for a live event. And of course, uh, the uh, virtual conference the following week, 27th, 28th, sign up at one k site.com for further information. 100 bucks for Vegas, $20.22 $20. for the virtual event. And again, like I said, um, go to that one uh, k site.com for further information. So,. Um, as far as events, uh, we just uh, finally put book uh, finally put in the books for uh, Houston. Great event. Phil Garner was a fantastic guest. Um, wouldn't stop talking. Uh, there were points where um, Larry tried to cut him off, but it was very very impossible. He came prepared with speech and very frank, very honest. Um, and afterwards, I still talked to him for a little bit and. Of course, me being the turn of the punch ball, I asked him, Phil, what happened with the uh, Detroit when he lasted like 168 games? He was there for a year, then got fired six games into the uh, following season. Uh, but of course, I'm always there to uh, ask the tough questions. But, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, uh, college or law school or, or certainly work, I was always the person who kind of saw it as I called it. Being frank and honest uh, with my opinions uh, didn't really make me popular at work. Uh, These are the breaks. Um, You know, you can say that my frank views have kept me out of quite a few circles. But, you know, quite honestly, I feel like I'm the circle that I want to be a part of. Uh, So this episode is really all about, you know, some unpleasant truths about the retirement plan business. Um, It's going to annoy... Uh, it's going to annoy some people, but here it is. Number one, fee disclosure didn't end the business, uh, but we have a lot of work to do. And, you know, um, I, along with folks like James Holland, um, you know, and certain other TPAs, we were there in the beginning back in 2010 on, on LinkedIn and talk about the need for fee disclosure, and uh, we were, you know, treated as, uh, you know, for quite a few people that we were crazy. Uh, well, the business didn't need free disclosure. And, you know, the first time I ever heard about revenue sharing, I was uh, 28 years old, about a year and change in as an risk attorney working for a law firm that was affiliated with a um, TPA. And when I heard revenue sharing, to me it reminded me of Payola. What do you mean that only certain mutual fund companies pay revenue sharing? Um, You know, and Payola, for those who don't remember, or obviously weren't around during those times, uh, this was in the 50s when record companies would actually pay disc jockey to uh, to play um, the recordings of their top artists. And that was a big controversy, and it was, you know, declared to be illegal. And I've always said the only difference between payola and revenue sharing is payola is illegal, and Congress has yet to make revenue sharing a crime. Um, the problem with revenue sharing was that it was never disclosed. So you you know so TPAs, especially producing TPAs, those with advisory practice, would convince plan sponsors that having a, a fund lineup consisting of actively managed funds would be uh, cheaper. Than um, index paying funds. I, I'm, I'm sorry, than index funds, because index funds didn't pay revenue sharing. And, uh, you know, we all know that, you know, we now look um, uh, to management fees uh, and all in expenses of plan administration. Back 20 years ago, they really didn't do that, they didn't care about. Um, Administrative expenses. You know, administrative expenses uh, for a fund company could be 250 basis points at sometimes back 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, you would have TPAs that would convince plan sponsors that by moving to a revenue sharing uh, fund paying lineup, uh, that they would actually cut back uh, on their plan expenses. And we know that that's not the case. Fee you disclosure regulations. Uh, that were implemented in 2012, you know, the buildup for it, if people, you know, recall, it was Congress tried to put in fee disclosure, and uh, a lot of congressmen are uh, get a lot of PAC money from uh, Wall Street, so they didn't, you know, work on it, so the Department of Labor took upon themselves to implement the regulations. And with the lead-up, it was a two-year build-up before they proposed it until it finally was implemented, and I think it was a six-month delay at one point. But, uh, uh, people in this business thought that, uh, you know, they were trying to fight it, said fee disclosure is going to be the end of the business, um, or that plan sponsors were only going to pick the cheapest plan provider. Uh, so fee disclosure, you know, we look back on it now, um, this July will be 10 years since we've implemented it. It didn't kill the business. Um, but of course, you know, we. we in this business, we always have a lot of chicken littles who think the sky will always fall. Uh, it did make fees more competitive. It did you know, drive down fees once everybody knew how much everybody was making. It certainly drove down fees. But the problem with fee disclosure has always been that the Department of Labor, in my opinion, dropped the ball by never acquiring some sort of uniformity in terms of fee disclosure. You know, When you look and you pick up a food uh, product at the supermarket, we have a boilerplate, you know, a, not boilerplate, but a consistent view of what the calories are and what are, whatnot. We also see that in uh, truth in lending uh, disclosures when you're taking out a loan or a mortgage. Um, you see some uniformity when you buy a car. Um, I, I always think that what would have made fee disclosure a lot easier is if the Department of Labor did put out a sample notice or require a uniform notice. And I still think in these days, you know, I understand on the TPA side, it's kind of impossible to have a uniform notice when, you know, TPAs charge different fees or types of fees. So it'd be hard to get a, a, you know, a a consistency, but I really think that, uh, you know, uh, I think the Department of Labor should have required like a one-page summary, like a, like a sticker price um, that's consistent, um, you know, and and I think that that would go a long way for plan sponsors to understand exactly how all in they are on the fees. And, um, you know, I'm an arrest attorney, 23 years, and, you know, it does take me some time, sometimes, it does take me quite a bit of time sometimes to review some of these fee disclosures some plan providers are very uh, brief and, and, and explanatory and some think it's you know they're uh, writing a, a serious russian novel when it comes to fee disclosures and um again um uh, until we you know the problem is i think the industry you know it'd be great if the industry as a whole could say you know what let's put this, let's, let's agree, um, you know, maybe through the ARA or whatnot, let's come into an agreement. We're all going to have a one page summary. Problem is not everybody's a member of the ARA. Um, and you know, the problem with this industry that any type of uniformity is something that we don't impose on ourselves. We always require government to act. Um, if we decided we should police ourselves, uh, with requiring fee disclosure and not rely on government, it'd be 2021, and we still would not have gotten it done. You know, you take uh, you take two TPAs, you're going to get three different positions, or three different arguments, or three different viewpoints. Um, it, it's just it's just not going to happen. So I really think that you know we have work to do. I think that you know when you still have plan participants. Thinking that they're paying nothing for administration, when you still think you have, when you still have plan sponsors who think they're not paying anything for administration, uh, that's the failure fee disclosure. It's not a perfect system. We've come a long way. Which reminds me of Virginia Slims ad line: "You've come a long way, baby." Uh, I don't know if you could do that anymore. Not that uh, there's any advertising of cigarettes of any kind anymore, but neither here nor there. But that's that's how I feel. Next on the hit list, this is going to raise a few eyebrows and going to annoy some people. But the worst thing that can happen to a plan provider uh, sometimes is being bought. (laughs) Um, I know somebody from a very, very huge 338 advisory practice. and About a year ago, I think it was about a year ago or whatnot, he calls me up and says his firm was being bought. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I think that purchases and mergers are great for the folks who have equity in these retirement plan practices, but it, this doesn't really help, uh, in my opinion, clients and employees. Um, I've seen too many buyouts of TPAs, uh, that don't work out. And, uh, you know, the problem is, is One major reason is that the leadership of these practices, you know, cashed out or are looking to cash out within, you know, three years. And so it leaves, unfortunately, leads to a brain drain of the talent of the company that didn't have an equity stake. TPA in my backyard, they were bought a few years ago and I didn't have a good feeling about it. Uh, Of course, they changed the name, got rid of the brand name. Um, and then you started to see the exodus of some of the great people there. Um, you know, great actuary, gone. Um, the head of the 401k area retired. The top salesperson now is gone. Um, and you know, the problem is, is that if you're working with these plant providers, the people you liked, um... And what made it, a, you know, the people that made it a great company are no longer there, and that's, that's a problem. And, um, you know, I, I've told the story again about that TPA that I had to uh, sick the Department of Labor on. Um, you know, that was a TPA that was bought out. You know, they were a great Florida TPA, and they got bought out by a, a TPA from another state. And uh, the, the, the service started to stink, and therefore I had to make a change. And, uh, you know, the owner of the company was gone. Um, uh, and, and of course with the purchase, we, we noticed a a huge, um, uh, uh, change in the level of service and, and it was not a positive change. It was a negative change. Um, it's just, it's a very, uh, problematic most of the time it's just like these mergers and purchases don't really work out especially when it's that small medium-sized TPA that you really enjoyed or sometimes the RA practice as well and uh, it's a difficult time but I will have to say that you know in St. Louis we had a presentation by one of the providers who's been a consistent um, sponsor of that 4k conference and, you know, he said, you know, our company was bought out a couple years ago, but, you know, the head head is still there. The, the top people are still there. And uh, I, you know, made a point of saying that doesn't happen often for the most part. Um, you know, the people you liked, they're gone. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I've seen more blowups than successful practice integrations. That's just my experience Next uh, you know we have work to do on you know participant education. Um, if you took me took me a time machine you, you brought me from 1998 to 2021 um, you know from that 23 year jump, uh, there'd be a lot of changes that um, you know I, I wouldn't recognize the business in terms of the technology. Uh, I started the business where there are no websites. It was all done through phone or paper, um, but that one part of the business that is still the same, unfortunately, for the most part, is uh, the planned enrollment education meetings. We haven't progressed that much with it, um, and I will always joke that I've seen funerals that are more lively than some of these enrollment education meetings. Um, there are quite a few providers out there that have injected some life into this, uh, into these enrollment meetings, education meetings, but most haven't. I think the most important point uh, is to inject life into them and it could only, it could be done by just two 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 steps. Number one, um, I think the num- number one is to make sure that the education piece, uh, the information put out there is on a level that plant participants could understand. And I think a lot of plant providers don't do that. Uh, they talk a lot of jargon, thinking, you know, everybody's second coming to Jim Cramer um or some other well, Jim Kern is not much of financial genius, but I, I use that as an example. Not everybody has that kind of knowledge. Um, I always say that, you know, the only reason i have ever been successful in, in my business and my practice is the fact that I can take topics that are very difficult to understand and put it in a language that, you know, plan sponsors and, and financial advisors and TPAs can understand. That's how I gained the following on social media through that. Taking uh, very difficult topics and breaking it down to language they can understand. You know, a spoonful of sugar will make the medicine go down. And I think that plan providers can do uh, just a better job with the education enrollment meetings by talking on a level that plant participants can understand. And number two, how about if they make it fun? Uh, God forbid people can have fun. Um, uh, it shouldn't be a funeral. Uh, It could be as lively as, you know, a game show or something or something really, really interesting. You know, give people gift cards for answering right questions or something. Just really something simple to make something interesting and exciting and and fun. You know, when I set up that 401k conference, you know, I looked to something that was fun. Uh, I think a lot of these annual conferences or whatnot, it's the same stuff. And I wanted something interesting. Let me bring in, you know, a Dwight Gooden, an Andre Dawson, a Steve Garvey to an event. Let's have a stadium tour. The point it was, if we create memories, if we create a memorable experience for that 4K conference, people will remember me. You know, it's like the uh, Castan's episode uh, on, um, on Seinfeld where, you know, he wants to keep himself in the mind of a former flame, you know a stanza, you know, so he'll leave you know, an alarm clock, he'll leave a hat, something that they could, you know, remember him by so, you know, she would call him. And, um, I think if you create something memorable, something interesting and fun and exciting, uh, it's going to help uh, get per- plant participants more heavily involved in the plan. Um, and, and that's just really simple, in, in my view. Um, uh, Next, the only thing that can kill this business is uh, the government. You know, the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. For us in the industry, the only thing we have to fear is the government. I have a very, very optimistic view of this business. I think that this business is very, very resilient. I've seen it for 23 years. I know what can do and what can't. I know that, uh, again, um, people um you know would think any change you know the sky would fall um they thought fee disclosures would mean plan sponsors would get rid of their uh, retirement plans because they don't want to bother with it uh they said the same thing with the fiduciary rule um so many people said you know what uh, we're, we're, uh because there's gonna be a lack of advisors they're not gonna want to be fiduciaries and so therefore plan sponsors somehow won't get the service and help that they need nonsense um However, what could negatively impact uh, the retirement plan business and, uh, is, 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 is salad deferrals. Um, you know there have been proposals from the Biden White House that somehow they'd like to get rid of salad deferrals, tie it to a tax credit instead of a tax deferral, uh, which would negatively impact the high earners, uh, would help maybe the lower end people. But the lower-end people are the people who can't afford to defer. Um, The highly-compensated employees can afford the most, and anything that negatively impacts them is going to be bad. Is it possible that in the years in the future, because of, uh, you know, listen, trillions and trillions of dollars of debt uh, and Social Security and whatnot, it's likely that we're going to have higher taxes in the future? Don't be surprised if one of the um, ways to raise revenue is to eliminate the pre-tax deferral of a 401k and make all the contributions post-tax on a rough basis. Uh, that could possibly happen. Anything that changes the salary deferral, anything that negatively changes the compensation limit, anything that limits people from saving in a 401k plan is bad for this business, and that's really what can hurt us. Anything that eliminates the tax deferral of pre uh, the tax deferral treatment of uh, salary pre-tax salary deferrals uh, that would severely uh, hurt this business and uh, that's the only thing that could kill it in my opinion. Uh, next, the most important asset I've always said this the most important valuable asset are you know your employees. Uh, I think that one of the hardest parts of being a retirement plan provider, especially being a TPA, is finding good uh, employees that can handle the work in a professional and competent manner. So I don't know why plan providers treat their employees with such disdain. Um, The reason I set my practice up 11 years ago, went on my own, is because I could no longer be an employee. Um... I worked two years for law for, uh, union, law, uh, you know, union lawyers, and they make the worst employers. You would think that somebody who's in the business of protecting workers' rights would be a good employer. They are not. Um, and one thing, being you know, working with union lawyers, I really understood the employee-employer relationship. I could see both sides of it. No employee thinks they get paid too much. No employer thinks they pay their employees too little. That it is in a nutshell. But. Uh, You know, in the end, people want to be treated with respect and that they actually matter. Um, You know, uh, you need a consistent core of employees for your plant provider business. If you treat people well, you will keep them on. Um, You need that core group of, you know, solid employees. Um, If you treat them poorly with zero empathy, they will leave. And the last thing you need is for your front door to be a revolving door of employees uh, it's it's a time and financial waste to consistently need to train new employees to get on your system. Once uh, you lose uh, some employees to a competitor. Last but not least, COVID is actually going to improve this business overall in the scheme of things. Um, let's go f- for the fact that you know it's killed seven hundred thousand Americans uh but there is a silver lining in it and the silver lining is um i'm not talking about the negative impact where you know obviously employers uh, clients went out of business and whatnot or the fact that you know there will be uh problems and issues in attendance in future conferences including my that 4K conference um i see a lot of cutback in travel for you know, unnecessary travel um do you, do plan providers really need to go out to see the client every quarter in live when Zoom can work out in person, you know, when Zoom can certainly be you a know, substitute? A plan provider is going to realize that financially it's easier to have a Zoom room and for a one of their employees to conduct meetings on Zoom or you know client recruitment meetings on Zoom. Um, you know, ever since September 11th, air travel has not been fun, it's a long, tedious process. You lose so much time in travel. Uh, I learned that with three trips uh, this September, this past September, to, to redo those 401k conferences. So much time is lost in travel. Uh, and I think that, um, I think that. Plant providers are going to realize, you know what, let's save a couple bucks, have our people on Zoom for the really important clients, the really larger clients that, you know, need that in-person experience. Well, we'll have it for them. But, you know, for 75% of this, we, we don't need to do live events anymore. And also, I think that with technology, um, you know, employers like to cut costs. And one way they could cut costs is on the size of their offices or the location of their offices. People can work from home and we see from you know PWC people will work from home for good Uh, we realize you know I worked in a time in the 1990s where you didn't have access to your work email Uh, you couldn't operate in a functional matter it was only about 12 years ago where I had a Blackberry from work where I could look at the emails Um, prior to that uh, for the time I worked in the business from 1998 to 2010 Uh, I had no access uh, to, or 2009, I had no access to my work email uh, at all. And, uh, you know, technology has changed that. And I think that employers, plant provider employers are going to realize, you know what? I don't need that fancy office in the city anymore. I could be in the suburbs. I can cut back on my office space because we'll have, you know, half the people in one part of the week and the other half in. And the other half will be at home or whatnot. Uh, I think that that's positive. Cutting costs is positive. Uh, cutting time, saving time—that's that's positive. So there is a silver lining to this pandemic. Uh, you know what? You got to look to the positive of almost anything because out, outside of that, it's been it's been really really uh, negative. So um, I hope that you uh, you know enjoy this episode of that One K podcast, and um, we. Uh, have another episode in a week. And like I said, go to that 41 for further information on all our uh, live events. Thanks. Take care. Bye.